Man, it's so good being back at Evergreen. Uh, literally, as soon as Ann and Jared sends the uh, email out that they're going to do Boomerang again, uh, you know, I think I was the first one to respond. I get the 21st. You know, I, I picked the weekend out right away. Uh, it's, it's the best weekend of my whole year. It's, it's, I look forward to it. One, we get to come to Hillsboro where there's actually shopping. Corvallis doesn't have much shopping, you know? So we get to come to Ikea and all these stores and Chick-fil-A, and I'm like, this is just a great weekend. We, we got in early yesterday and got to go right to Chick-fil-A right away. And our kids, we were in Salem at Emily or Macy's Sand Volleyball Tournament, and we were going to eat maybe at Popeye's or something lame like that. But um, kids were like, let's suffer for an hour. We'll get to Hillsboro and we'll get the good stuff. And so we, we made it here, and it was really great. But uh, yeah, my son, he busted his knee again. Uh, his uh, bottom of his femur died, and it re- there's a whole bone graft going on in there. So crazy stuff. But he should be back, and we're believing that he's going to be good for the season here. But uh, yeah, Emily sends their greeting. She's preaching this morning back at Evergreen. Or not Evergreen. <laughs> at Corvallis. I do that once in a while. I've got a few people from my church here attending this morning, and they go, yeah, he does. Um, but she's uh, preaching there in Corvallis, and uh, she's covering stuff. We just got back from Malawi, Emily and I, and we spent about three weeks there, and then we moved. And so the church was like, do we even have pastors anymore? And so she decided to stay back and uh, hold down the teaching there and make sure there's a connection at our church to know that the pastors are not gone. Um, but yeah, so it's really great. She sends her greetings. She's doing well. She's continuing to work at NURSA, which is an organization that oversees intramural sports for college universities. Uh, so anywhere, if you've ever, anyone play intramural sports for a college before? Like hang out, raise your hand. Yeah, there's a few of you. But she governs you. So yeah. <laughs> so she puts the rules in place for all of your tournaments and things like that for colleges. She, uh, her organization is involved in over 600 college campuses across the United States. Um, she loves what she does, but more importantly, she loves the ministry that happens while doing that position. In her position, she gets to pastor the marketplace and the people she works with. Um, Oftentimes, she's called into a meeting by her director, and uh, she thinks she's in trouble, and it's just to go through a counseling session, you know, and they're talking about life issues and stuff, but she's in full-time ministry at uh, NURSA, and she loves it. Um, And you'll love this, Anne shared this, but we own dirt in Corvallis. We finally bought a home, and we're so excited about owning dirt in Corvallis. It, yeah. We've waited for this moment for six years. I think it has spiritual significance as well as physical significance of just giving us peace. But um, there was something about owning something in that town that has really changed our perspective about the city we live in. Just being able to put roots down securely gives our kids some stability of like, this is home. Um, it's weird, but Jackson's three years away from graduating, so really this is his home that he'll be coming back to, uh, which is hard for us to imagine that. But um, we'll have a good time for three years of establishing some memories there. But yeah, we're really excited about what God's doing there. Part of having a new home is uh, supplying the home of what it needs, right? Have you ever done that? Like we've spent so much time at like Home Depot and Lowe's. <laughs> I can't believe it, but I love convenient places, right? Places that are one-stop shops, you know, and just to get done, right, real quick. I go to Fred Meyer's and get groceries and a ladder at the same time, you know, and it's kind of awkward walking out with it. But I love convenient places. It just helps with time and everything. Um, But especially owning a home, it's just nice going to convenient places. 
And this morning, we're going to look into scriptures about Jesus, how he says to you and I, I am absolutely a one-stop shop. I am super convenient for you. I am everything you need me to be today to supply your needs today. And I love that about our Savior. Do you love that about Jesus? So why I started to follow him, because he said, I'm your friend, I'm your leader, I'm your father, I am everything you need me to be. But also, he's also challenging, isn't he? He's super challenging. He's convenient and challenging. And that's the point of Christianity that is so tough, right? We all love the the lovable, huggable Jesus, but then when he goes and speaks to us about our life, we're like, leave me alone, you know, right? But it's like this whole idea is that he's super convenient, but he's challenging. You know, God's word is very challenging as well, isn't it? Like when we read it, it brings conviction into our life. It, it brings understanding. It brings us into alignment with who God is. It's a wonderful thing to be able to be in God's word because it speaks to our heart. And then the Holy Spirit does its work through reading God's word. This morning, Emily's preaching back at Corvallis, and she's teaching in the book of James. Have you guys read the book before, James? It's a very challenging book. It's a book, gee, James is the brother of Jesus, and so he hung out with Jesus a lot, and he used a lot of Jesus' teachings in his book. And one of the big chapters is chapter three, where it talks about the tongue and taming the tongue. And my wife is teaching a very challenging portion of scripture where she's challenging the church about how to work on your tongue. And I'm glad I missed that weekend. (laughs) Yeah, because I would have wrote a book of notes of saying how challenging this would be in my life. But... Jesus is convenient and challenging. That's going to be the topic today. And part of our journey out of Evergreen into Corvallis is about God saying, I'm sending you to a new place. And if God is sending you, he's also going to be on the backside of supplying what you need. Amen? When you are sent, if God sends, if he supports, if he calls, if he guides, he's also going to supply, he's going to provide, he's going to equip that call right? If God, then God. Say that with me. If God, then God. It happens for all of us in this room. If God calls you to something, if he guides you somewhere, he's going to complete that guiding. Amen? We are a testimony to that. So part of my time here this morning is just to testify to the church of if God, then God, right? That's what the challenging word is today. If God is calling you to something, He's going to supply every need you have. And uh, this morning, we're going to look at John chapter 10, and we're going to look at Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd. I am the gate. And at this point in John chapter 10, Jesus has made several different I am statements. He has said, I am the vine. I am, you know, the way, the truth, and the life. I am the bread of life. I am everything you need me to be. Right? And he goes on in John chapter 10 to say, I am the good shepherd, and I'm also the gate. Wow. You know, so he goes on to say these things. But before he gets to John chapter 10, the setup of all this story is in John chapter 9, where the, he heals a man born blind. Say blind. Okay? This man was physically blind, but some of us are spiritually blind, and, and our eyes are going to be open to Jesus this morning. Hallelujah. Amen. I believe that. But he says, I was, this man was born blind, and Jesus heals him in chapter 9. Okay? This rattled the cages of all the religious people. This irritated them because they knew a truth about this subject of healing a man born blind. They knew that in the Old Testament, 
Over five times it prophesied that someone, the Messiah, was going to come. And the mark of the Messiah was that he was going to set the people who were blind, they're going to set them free and be, have, have sight again. He was going to heal people born blind. That was a sign of the Messiah. The Old Testament said that. The Pharisees were studying it, and they were watching for the Messiah to come. And Jesus, guess what? Healed seven people born blind. Seven people. His, one of his most known miracles was healing someone born blind. This was a mark in the line saying, I am the Messiah. I am who you think you're looking for. I am that guy. Wonderful moment. So in John chapter 10, he's talking to the Pharisees. He's talking to that crowd, the Jews. He's saying to them, I am everything you need me to be. I am before you. I am the Messiah. And includes this statement, say, I am. He's saying something from the Old Testament in, in the book of Exodus, right? Moses before the burning bush. You know that story? familiar with it? He's there in the burning bush and God speaks to him and God himself declares himself as the I am. That's Y-H-W-H. That's Yahweh. That's Lord. Say Lord. That's the main name of God, Lord. Jesus says, I am the vine and the branch. I am the shepherd. I am the gate. I am the way and the truth of life. He says seven different I am statements throughout the book of John. Study them all. They're all so important. But they were all directed to a very Jewish crowd, a crowd of Pharisees, that he was trying to gather a flock among the Jewish people that would be followers of Christ, right? That's what we're doing today, too. That's still happening today. We're still following Christ today, and God is still gathering himself a flock. Amen? You're here this morning. He's still gathering people together unto himself under the name of Jesus. Amen? All right. So that's the setting there today. And uh, I love this. Jesus is super convenient, but he's also challenging. We're going to talk about that, you know, this new season of life that we're in. We're all in a new season of life. That God's going to supply everything we need. Amen? Everything we need for that. So just trust him in that. Okay? So John chapter 10, let's look at the conclusion of this. The very last verses of what we're talking about today uh, end with this. So this is the end of the story, okay? I want to, spoiler alert, right? If I was, to, you know, never mind. I was going to get into like stranger things and stuff like that right now, which is weird and spoil it for everybody. But we're going to do the spoiler alert here on this one right now. And this is the ending here of it. But we're going to look at the last uh, two verses here of the story. John chapter 10, verse 19 through 21. Okay? So Jesus is using a figure of speech. Okay, the Jews who heard these words were again divided. Say divided. divided. Say it again, divided. divided. Say it like you're like divided left and right, right? Like say divided. divided, divided. Many of them said, he is demon possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? Others on the other side, the divide, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So there were two crowds listening to him. They were like, whoa, hang on, Let's, there's a debate going on. Is this the Messiah or not? There's two sides of the crowd here. Who is he? And you know what's interesting about Jesus back then that's interesting today? Jesus is continuing to divide lines today. He's going to always do that because he is the son of God and he says, this is who I am. And those are gonna be people in the room that says, yes, this is who Jesus is. And there's gonna be others who say, I'm not following. I don't, I'm not doing it, right? Right? 
So these words this morning are clear lines that he says, I am, right? When you say an I am statement in your own life, like later on today, the kids and I, we are, I am going to Ikea, right? I'm, I am, I'm going there right after church. And some of you in the room are like, you're an idiot. It's gonna fall apart. <laughs> like in a week, your new home's gonna get bad furniture. And the other crowd is like, right on, it looks good, brand new furniture, go to Ikea, right? There's two crowds in the room. But when we say I am, it's definitive. It's gonna divide lines everywhere, right? If we're at church and we are a bold preaching pastor, which you got in Jared Ann, they're gonna preach hard things that are found in the Bible. They're gonna preach hot topics from the stage because it's not their words, it's what? It's, it's what is this? God's word. Okay, we preach God's word, right? And we're gonna preach God's word and God's word's gonna divide. It is. It always does. It always costs this church something whenever we preach truth. Think about that. Jesus says, I am the truth. That divides a line right there. It's heavy, isn't it? Do you feel the tension of that? When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, I am the way to the Father, I mean, let's get real for a moment, too. I didn't do this in the first service, but I feel it now. But I mean, we've got loving, amazing friends who don't know Jesus. We have people around the world that we know that don't follow him. We have coworkers, family members, that when we say Jesus is the way to the Father, that makes you have to decide something, right? Feel something, think something. It's why we have a mandate as followers of Christ to spread the gospel. It's why Jesus says, I'm not going to waver on this. I would love to say there's many ways of God or whatever, but Jesus says, I am the way to the Father. And as I said in the beginning, Jesus is everything I've ever needed him to be. He's super convenient. He's available for everyone, but he's also challenging, isn't he? And that challenging part is the decision that people need to make. Am I going to be a follower of Christ or not? And it's so heavy. Throughout the book of John, chapter 10, we're going to look at it here in just a moment. It ends with the result that he says, if you follow these things, Jesus says, if you do these things, if you're part of my flock, there is something wonderful that's going to happen. In John chapter 10, verse 10, and verse 7 through that area there, he says, when you come to know me, you're going to experience life. And not life like just partial life or kind of life or, or just the okay mundane life. He says to you and I that you're going to have life and life to the fullest, the abundant life, he says. And so the abundant life looks like this in Corvallis. It looks like I have a father that walks with me daily and reminds me of his love for me. He reminds me every day that I'm his favorite. Are you his favorite? No, I, I'm his favorite. No, no, no. We're all God's favorite. Say I'm, fa- say I'm God's favorite. No, say it like you know, like your grandma's favorite, right? Say it like that. I'm, I'm his favorite, right? Say it like you know it, right? I'm his favorite. I'm God's favorite. That, to me, is the abundant life. Knowing that I am loved and highly favored by God. I'm not his enemy. I don't experience the wrath of God, but I experience his blessing and his faithfulness. Amen? He is my friend and he is my father. That's what he supplied to me. If God calls me, then he supplies every need I have. And that's not just a home or money. That is, he's my friend, he's my father. 
and I'm his favorite. That gives me the abundant blessings of being able to sit in God's blessing and going, God, you have fulfilled me in every aspect of my life. Amen? Amen. If God, then God. We've got to believe this fully. So the problem in this, in this verse, is that there's not only just the shepherd and the gate going on here we're going to read about in a minute, but there's also something going on in the story about thieves and robbers. Say thieves and robbers. So there's, there's the shepherd, there's a gatekeeper, but he also mentions that in this same story, there are thieves and robbers. And the thieves and robbers in this story are the Pharisees, are the law keepers, are the religious folks, right? And he says, they come in and they claim authority, but they rob us of something. They claim authority, but they come in as thieves and robbers. Have you ever been robbed before? I mean, it's a terrible experience to be robbed or being harmed in any way. But man, when a thief comes into your home, do they care about your stuff? No. A mark of a thief and a robber is they claim authority over your home, over your possession, your car. They break your window. They take your stuff. They claim authority like it's theirs, and they walk away with it, right? And they do not care. The mark of a shepherd, the mark of a pastor, the mark of a leader, the mark of what Jesus is talking about here has everything to do with the care of the flock, So if you want to know the difference between the thief and a robber and the shepherd, the shepherd claims all authority, all of it, but cares. The robber claims all authority, but robs. Know that in life. Know that in life that when we're going through life and you look at your pastors like Jared and Ann, who are great shepherds, their job is to care for the flock right? That's a mark of claiming all authority that God's given me as a pastor to say, I care. One of our greatest ministries that we've started at Corvallis Foursquare this last year is our care ministry. We've appointed new pastors in that ministry, Lou and Lonnie Godin. And the last name might sound familiar with some of you here in this church who've been at Evergreen for a long time. Paul and Alicia Godin were youth pastors here many, many moons ago. And these are his parents. His parents are our care pastors. In the book of Acts, uh, do you guys familiar with Stephen? He was a martyr. Uh, But before he was martyred, he was uh, in care ministry. They appointed him as a leader that was going to tend to the needs of the people so that the preachers can preach. And so Lou and Lonnie Godin um, have stepped into care ministry at our church, and they, they do hospital visits. They clean people's homes when needed. They do meal ministry. Uh, they do so much. They do presents and gift ministry during the Christmas season. But uh, they're wonderful people, and uh, I take them to Malawi with me as often as possible because they just love going to Malawi and serving on the mission field. Uh, Lonnie is a former... Uh, I guess you're not former. If you've been a nurse, right, Ann, you're a nurse forever, right? Yeah, so Lonnie was a retired nurse, and uh, I take her to Malawi with us, and she just does a wonderful job being a nurse in our church. She just cares for people who are wounded (laughs) and are down for a moment. But one of our greatest acts of our church is being a a good shepherd is caring for people, and we've really equipped that uh, lately in our church. So anyway, let's take a look at the story. Uh, John chapter 10, verse 1 through 6. This is the quick overview here. The idea here is Jesus is gathering himself a flock. Okay, so think of that. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, because that's the audience, the Pharisee, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. 
The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. So what he's saying to the Pharisees crowd is, here's the deal. Here's what a shepherd is, and here's what a thief is. And if you want to follow me, I'm the good shepherd. And he's trying to gather to himself a flock of people from Pharisees, from the Jewish people at the time. And he's kind of gathering them together. What's interesting about this story is in chapter 9, the blind man was born, right, born blind, and Jesus healed him, and his sight became clearer and clearer, right? The, the guy that was not a Pharisee was healed by Jesus, and his sight became clearer and clearer. As Jesus is teaching, the Pharisees' eyes are actually becoming darker and darker. They're becoming more and more closed off as Jesus does his teaching in his miracles. And that's what it kind of does. It divides this line here. So in John chapter 6, um, you know, a while back, he calls himself the bread of life. And at the time, the, the Pharisees murmured, how can he be the bread of life? And then Jesus goes on and uses like grotesque terms. He's like, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, I won't know you. Wow. I mean, that's what he says. He says he goes on to make it a real clear picture for the Pharisees. Like, I am the bread of life. You must eat of me. Right? Creepy stuff a little bit, right? But, you know, like, there's a lot of teaching around that, right? We take communion every, you know, every month or so often, and we take the little cracker and the juice, right? We talk about the symbology of Christ's body and his blood that was shed for us. And we use it as symbolism of this very thing. He says, I am the bread of life right? Every month, every once in a while, whenever you do so, when you ever remember me, take communion and, and you're receiving it. We're doing it today. We do it, this, we do it all the time in church. And he says this to the Pharisees, but he goes on and further and makes it really clear, almost like he irritates them. Like he wants to like really make it clear. You got to eat me, right? You got to drink my blood. You got to do all of this stuff. And he says, making it really clear. And he wants to be clearer and clearer to them. But what he's doing, he's actually making it more offensive to them. He's like, let me tell you the story. I not only told you that, you know, I was, I, was, I was the vine. I told you I was the truth. I told you I was the bread of life. But let me make it even more clear. I'm the shepherd. And not only am I the shepherd, I'm the gate, he says. I'm the shepherd and the gate. He's trying to make a real clear picture for the people, the Jewish people, that Man, there is one way to the Father, and it is through me. He says, I am the door. John chapter 10, verse 7 through 10. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them, right? They didn't understand in chapter 9. They didn't understand in chapter 6, and they still weren't grasping everything he was teaching. So therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go and find pasture. The thieves come only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and life to the full. Life abundantly. Say abundantly. abundantly. That's the result of all this. So as Jesus gathers together a group of followers... He makes it real clear what it means to be a follower of Christ. 
He says that in the end result of being a follower of Christ is to have life to the full. Amen? Now, in Malawi, and our trips there, we go every six months, and we're planning on going every six months for the next three years, and we're doing establishing work in the nation of Malawi. We have two full-time missionaries there that we support, pray over, and visit often and encourage. And one of them is Wendy Ellerick. And on her property, she has created uh, a home that looks like Swiss Family Robinsons. Everything's made of like bamboo, and you're sleeping in like jungle tents and stuff. It's really neat. She does have running water, but on the picture to the right is her front yard. Uh, in the distance there, where the sun is at, that is Mozambique, and right behind her hill is uh, Malungi Mountain, and it's a beautiful area of Malawi. Uh, the mountain is famous for uh, Tolkien's writing of Lord of the Rings. It's where he was inspired to write a portion of the book, uh, the portion of the book where he talks about Misty Mountain. This is Malungi Mountain. And uh, this is sitting right at the base of that mountain. Um, and so anyway, the picture to the right, there's a little trail uh, that goes to the gate. And this is the very gate here that we're looking at in that picture there to the right. Um, that trail leads down to many different villages, uh, about eight different ones that we are affiliated with. Uh, I've become the bishop of these eight churches. They uh, need a lot of help. They are uh, fairly weak churches in these villages. They mix witchcraft with Christianity. Uh, they, on one day, will be with the witch doctors and on another day with the pastors. But whoever has more authority as we've been talking about, uh, thieves and robbers or the shepherd, uh, they kind of go back and forth. And so as we have gained trust in these villages, they've kind of been moving over to the shepherd. Um, and it's been some great work that we've been establishing there in this region. But anyway, um, on her compound, she has two dogs that are the most incredible military dogs in the world. There are German shepherds, and they are highly trained and highly effective. They are the only reasons I go to Malawi, because I know they take care of snakes. Uh, you know, there is nothing in that area that's going to touch me because of these two dogs. No people, no snakes. Uh, so they have Tundu and Mousy, and uh, these two uh, German shepherds keep us safe at night. And they know, they know without a doubt, if they hear anything on that hill to the right or behind, they are to kill it. They are to destroy it. And so no one comes around her, her territory uh, without coming through what? The gate, you're smart, the gate, right? So the villagers and everyone in the area know to come up to Wendy's Hill, they have to go through what? The gate. They are friendly when they come to the gate, right? You're coming through the right way, right? And she welcomes them in through the gate. But if not, you're going to face Mousy and Tundu, who are great great shepherds. <laughs> there are different type of shepherding. We'll talk about maybe in a future week about <laughs> different styles of shepherds uh, that you might have had in your life. But um, I believe Jared and Ann are very nice shepherds. But um, so there's a gate there and uh, they come in and out of that gate. And that's how we get down to the villages and into the different areas that we're going through. But she built it because she wanted a very known way to come into her place. Without the gate, she said she was approached from all angles, from villagers at all times, at all hours of night. And she just had no privacy at all. Now she's treated them and said, hey, you're welcome here, but come through my front door. So I can expect you. So, and people do. They come up all day long up to those hills. It's where we do the medical clinics. They just come one by one. It's wonderful. Um, in this region, I, I didn't show this earlier, but there are uh, a lot of albinos in our area, and the witch doctors find them, kill them, and use their bodies for medicine. Uh, they chop them up, and it's grotesque and it's terrible, but that's the reality. And Wendy protects them. 
She finds land, purchases land for them, builds them a home, and tells the chief and the wick doctors, if you touch this one, we will destroy you. You know, she loves them in the name of Christ, but she will destroy them. You know, <laughs> she may prosecute them, she may hang them, she might shoot them or machete them, but they are not to touch her albinos. And they are the most prosperous people in the area. The very first guest we had in Malawi was Margaret, and we can't show pictures of Margaret, but she's not only albino, but she's severely deformed, and uh, she's asked not to have any photos of her, but the very first visitor came up the hill was, was Margaret, and her first crop of her year of rice from her land that Wendy bought her was brought to our team, so we had rice for the whole two weeks that we were there, and she's just a wonderful woman, but she came to ask for nothing. She brought us a gift, and anyway, it's just, it's a wonderful story. And that's Margaret. But we love our work that's going on in Malawi. And I've asked my council, my church, to send me there as often as possible. My next trip is in November. And uh, we're trying to go about every, every six months to get good work established there. So it's really good stuff. But anyway, the gate is super important. So enter by me, the Lord says, and you will be safe forever. Amen? Forever. Um, and I, I love that about Jesus is that he says to us that you'll be safe in my, in my territory. But here's the deal with the territory, and, and I invite the worship team to come up right now. Um, I grew up on a farm, and we had lots of sheep. But our sheep uh, were to just take care of our hay fields, and they mow them down. So shepherds would bring sheep into our hay fields after four or five years of hay producing, and they would just devour our land. I mean, down to just dirt basically. They'd eat the roots too if we let them. But if we left the sheep in this pen, they would eventually die. They would eventually not survive being in this one pen. Sheep were meant to be put out to pasture. You guys ever heard of that before? They were meant to have different places to move to. And a good shepherd would move them to greener pastures or to new lands or by still waters. But you've got to keep moving your herd around for them to continue to grow and thrive. Pastors and Jared and Ann have been wonderful senders from this church, as they've mentioned during the Boomerang series so many times of so much sending from here. We have great shepherds in Jared and Ann. Uh, I say we because we consider them our pastors still in Corvallis. They've invested in us. They care for us. But I love this about the gate series, the idea of, of them sending out. There is a way to be sent. I love Jared and Ann as, as part of a, as a gatekeeper mentality. They're like Jesus to me a little bit, you know, that they said, you know what, you can come out and in from here in this location. And they sent us out of the gate, not to say goodbye to forever, but to go to uh, new places to find new pastures to, to feed on. And we have found that in Corvallis. No pun intended. There was a lot of sheep in Corvallis. <laughs> um, but we've gone to a new location where we've been doing ministry and life there and have loved every minute of it. It hasn't always been the best. I mean, as far as not, not trying, it's been difficult at times. Anne mentioned that when we went there, there was about 23 people in the church when we arrived. Uh, I'd like to report there's about 175 people that call Corvallis Foursquare home. Um, and we've renamed the church recently. Uh, we're called the Empowered Church in Corvallis. And that's just indicative of our services. Uh, we believe that the Holy Spirit empowers you to go, to, to, be, to be sent to listen to what God has for you next in your workplace. And so we really have kind of put our minds around the encampment of that the Holy Spirit has a word for you and wants to send you out and empower you to do what he's asked you to do. 
So that whole, if God calls you, then he supplies for you, that's empowerment, right? That's an empowering work. And that, that's for you as well. In your neighborhoods, in your homes, in your ministries here, if God's calling you and he's equipping you, there's going to be a lot of you going to junior high camp this week and you're going, okay, God, you called me. I hope you supply for me, right, the energy I need, the, 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 the wisdom I need to lead students. That's an empowering process right there. And uh, our time in Corvallis has been very much empowering. And great reports all around for our church. We have a home there. We love what we are doing. And we feel so blessed to be sent. And uh, as I close, I want to pray for you, and we're going to close with a time of worship. And um, I mentioned it earlier that Jesus is whatever we need him to be. He's convenient, but he's also challenging. And the area for my life where Jesus has showed up the most in the last six years is as a friend and as a father. That, you know, I, 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 if he came to my life and he says, Kevin, I'm the vine and the branch. Cool, that's great. I don't get it. But, you know, Kevin, I'm the bread of life. Hey, I, I'm this. I don't get it. But when he comes to my life and says, Kevin, I'm your friend. I'm your father. I'm your best friend. You know, I, I'm your father. That has connected with me so much over the last six years where he's been what I needed him to be. And Jesus is prepared to be what you need him to be today. Amen? So as we close and pray, I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. And I want to pray for all of us, including myself in this prayer, to ask the big question, Lord. If then, if God, you're calling me unto salvation, you will complete that. If God, you're calling me into ministry, you will provide and equip me. If God, you are sending me, Lord, you will guide me as well. And you'll supply every need that I have. Lord, if you're calling me to be a better husband, a better wife, better son and daughter, better parent, Lord, you will supply what I need for that. You will equip me to be those things. Lord, even in the smallest things of life, if I need you, if you're calling me to something, Lord God, a change in my life that I need to make. Trust in God that he's going to supply what you need. If there's changes of habits and hangups in life that you need to get over and God's calling you to that and you feel it right now, God's going to work a miracle in your life and you're going to see it. It's going to be far bigger than you could ever imagine. Lord, right now, I just pray that your will be done. Because I believe, God, your will for us, God, is to see us prosper, to see us succeed, to see us fully embracing the life that's fully lived in you. I believe, Lord God, that your will is for us to have the abundant life, not to have a life that's less than that. So, Father God, we, we are founded in you. And right now, in the name of Jesus, with everybody praying, eyes closed, if you're saying, I want to begin a relationship with Jesus, this morning. I want to take steps towards him today to find out what this means, that God is my shepherd. I want to accept him as my Lord and Savior. If that's you this morning, I'm going to make eye contact with you. I want to make sure if I miss you, raise your hand, but I'm going to look around the room and just connect with you right now. I see you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. I'll just take a moment here. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. 
I see. Thank you, Father. I see you too. Thank you. Yep, I agree with you. Thank you. I'll take a few more moments here. Thank you, Father. Father God, for those who are making decisions this morning to take steps towards you, I pray, God, that they are met with the good, good shepherd, the good, good father. That, Lord God, the next steps in their life when they're saying, God, if God is real, if God is moving me towards salvation, then show me what that is about, what life in Christ is like. I pray that, God, they would be made to know the goodness of God this morning. I pray, Lord God, that this guilt and shame would be eradicated in the name of Jesus right now, that they would be washed clean, they'd be set free. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Hallelujah. Amen.